Each and every Sunday we gather to worship, but why do we worship the way that we do? I'm Rebecca Garrett-Pace, and this is The Day After Sunday, a look at the why behind the worship. Good morning, Phil and Mitchell. Good morning, Rebecca. Hi, Rebecca, Mitchell. Welcome, everyone, to The Day After Sunday. Glad to have you joining us. Um, If you have not yet worshipped with us from yesterday, you still have a chance to catch up on what we're talking about on this podcast. You can find us on our YouTube channel or our Facebook page. Um, Yesterday was Advent 4, the week of love. Not that every week isn't also about the love of God, but this is particularly about the love of God. I kind of felt that way. I was like, you know, I feel like we talk about love a lot, so here we are, like... Uh, extra love today. I don't know. You know, it just right. feels like this is a theme that we use a lot, which is probably yeah. not a bad thing to have. Christmas yeah. love. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that uh, we can ever run out of. Uh, you know, uh, there's not a there's not a finite mi- amount of love that we can talk about, right? Totally. <laughs> you gotta you gotta replace your scarcity mindset. That's right. So. Mitchell, didn't you tell a story once about a friend of yours who's a pastor who like they got. Uh, criticized so to speak for preaching about love too often and that what i did do i remember this right or am i making this up like i feel like you had a friend who was like one of their congregants came up to them and said you preach about love a lot and he was like why thank you yeah exactly yeah (laughs) that's definitely we used to get in youth ministry we'd have parents being like all you guys ever talk about is love and we're like and right well, sometimes these kids need to hear, you know, like they're not just going to like they need to learn to be moral people. And like it's not going to happen by just t- preaching about love. And I was like, have you read I the feel, Gospels? I feel like that's Yeah. 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 There's um, not a lot of morality, actually, in the gospel. Right. It, it really is a lot about forgiveness. Mm. Well, we, yeah. Merry we Christmas, everyone. Too. There it was. <laughs> Merry Christmas, you brood of vipers. Oh, we, oh Yeah. You know We'll have to Did post you see the, the pillow. You saw the pillow. We'll I have to pillow. post some pictures on social yeah, media totally. to get the so everybody can see the the brood of vipers pillow. Oh my yeah. gosh! Yeah. I really hope that becomes a collection that you have. Like so far, Mitchell, you have a mug and a pillow, right? Uh, yeah, and I, I think I'm getting some cross stitch too. Oh my goodness! That's fantastic. That's amazing. Yeah, just a uh, just a nice little collection of brood Love of vipers swag. <laughs> we can always remember 2021. Oh, you know goodness. what we could do is we could start selling our own Christmas mugs on our website. There I we feel go. Like that would be awesome. I cool. would totally buy a Merry Christmas, you brood of vipers. I mug. would too. We could get Molly to make customized mugs, you know, and then we Ooh. could put. Like, here, we're setting a business right here, everybody. I love it. <laughs> love it. I love it. Fundraiser um, 2022. <laughs> totally. Well, speaking of like traditions. Oh, okay. oh no. Well, kind of. <laughs> Speaking of traditions and things that we do kind of every year and, you know, calling back, um, something that we've done this Advent that has, uh, we didn't do it last year because nothing happened last year like it (laughs) did, but in years past, it's been a tradition that the kids get an ornament each week Mm -hmm. to color, to decorate, um, and then we we decorate the tree with their ornaments. Um, And I don't, I think, was it Victoria's idea? Do you remember, Mitchell? Like uh, We did it. I think we did it even before Victoria, before Victoria. was here. I think it's been yeah. something that we've kind of returned you know, to over and over. Right. And I mean, I think it, you know, it's Genesis was, oh man, what are we going to do for children's time during worship? <laughs> and I feel like it was when we were in our die cut stage. 
uh, <laughs> with our business cards. Yes. And we had a phase uh, up here where we die cut our business cards. So I think it started in that process of, well, we could die cut these, uh, you know, this uh, shapes, kids, yeah. these shapes and then give them the kids to color. And then I think it was you, Rebecca, who said, well, we should just decorate instead mm -hmm. of like the traditional Chrismon tree mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, in a church, we could just have the kids do it. And um, and yeah, we've been we've been running with that ever since. It's been a huge hit and not just with the kids. Um, it's I mean, it, the tree looks beautiful, mm -hmm. right? I, we often totally. say, you know, oh, things need to be formal or dressy or perfect when we're in worship. But uh, White Rock tends to live into the opposite of that. We tend to like the more informal. And I just think, I mean, if you're listening to this and you haven't had a chance to really walk up to the tree and see it up close and personal, the ornaments are just beautiful. They're like these rainbow colors and these like, you know, the snowflakes are decorated like winter scenes and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. It's really cool. It is really um, cool. But yeah, I mean, that's something that we can do every year and it's simple, but it's so effective. Yeah. Um, and it, it progresses, right? As the yeah. season progresses, it's not like done which is you know kind of the the weird thing about when we have a hanging of the green service we're decorating for christmas like a lot of it is like we're done with it we're, mm -hmm. we're trying to get it ready for the beginning of advent what's great about this our, our you know main christmas tree and worship is that it's progressively getting more full throughout the mm -hmm. season which allows us to kind of you know play off of this journeying towards bethlehem kind of vibe that we're after yeah, it know. is a little heavy on one side because, <laughs> like, yeah. we have to. I mean, Phil, you and Josh do a good job of like reaching up tall, but when left to their own devices, the tree would only be decorated from three feet down. So, <laughs> in right in one spot, in one easy side. To get to. Yeah. yeah, I do love that it gives some ownership to the kids too. Mm -hmm. You know, like it just like this is their space. You know, and they get it like, is come up for children's time, but then also come up at the end of the service to hang their, their ornament. It's just, it's, it's a good, it's a cool. Yeah. I really yeah. Like and, it. and they feel connected enough to the worship service that, um, when I forgot to invite them last week, they just went ahead and come forward. You Which know, awesome. they knew, they knew what to do. Yeah. Um, it's really cool. Yeah. You Another, know, oh, just go ahead, on the ornament front and back to the fundraiser bit, did you know that <laughs> we used to sell uh, white rock used to have their own annual Christmas ornament for sale? Oh, yes. When really? I got here, there were two closets full of old ornaments that everyone didn't want to throw away, but they also didn't want to take home, which I thought yeah. was an interesting conundrum. It was from like 1971 to 1974. There was like a wow, a, a variation of, of White Rock uh, United Methodist Church themed Christmas ornaments that were for sale as fundraisers. And so like uh, people every year will like find one and like bring it bring it to me and I'm like oh, I already got that uh, special edition <laughs> one of the stained glass or whatever. So, but I just back to the fundraising bet. Maybe we should have a brood of vipers Christmas ornament that's for sale. I mean, I feel like that would be awesome. Yeah. There's there's so many potential things here with this. We certainly have enough artists in our congregation, too. We could get a whole... It wouldn't just have to be ornaments. We could get a whole slew of different things. Like Ugly sweater. Like, uh-huh. We have I people mean, who paint. We have people who cross-stitch. We have people who, like, collage. Yeah. Can Come we get... I think we should get a whole glass, uh, stained glass window of it, too. <laughs> we have a stained glass window. We have one stained awesome. glass window we probably need to replace, so... Uh, we could definitely put it in that corner. The yeah, right. <laughs> That's oh, awesome. Um, I mean, so this was 
this was also something, if we're just kind of taking some time to reflect, not on just yesterday, but on the whole Advent journey that we've been on, something that we did this year, Mitchell, that you commented on yesterday was um, instead of lighting the Advent candle and then immediately moving on, we've created this time of reflection mm-hmm. um, for people in person to reflect on the physical candles that are there on the altar, but also people who worship with us online um, to reflect on the flickering candle footage that we put online so everyone has sort of that experience thank but you, Dexter. it's yeah thank you Dexter it's been really beautiful and meaningful yeah. and so rare that so many other churches that we go to and talk about it is Mitchell as you've said just kind of this like steam train toward Christmas totally yeah and we're just trying to keep up right I mean, that's essentially, I think, a lot of what churches are, what, what we're naturally prone to do is, uh, since the world's going big during the holiday season, we try to, like, go big, too, and, like, try to, like, jam-pack everything with as mm-hmm. much stuff as we possibly can so that we uh, feel like we're making it worth people's time, because, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, that's the that's the trap of, of allowing the church to kind of reflect the world around Christmas is because we're really not in a hurry here. Mm, yeah. And being able to slow down during worship, I think has been really good for us to just take, even if it's just two minutes, you know, mm-hmm. it, it still feels, uh, it feels longer. Yeah. And but uh, in know, a good way, in a good way. Right. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, not in a, the service <laughs> is boring, but right. in a, Wow, this is just so needed. So mm-hmm. I've really, I've really loved the, that space in the liturgy. Yeah, I, that's so powerful. What you said too is, the world is loud, so that so we try to be louder. And yeah. what what does it mean instead when we draw people into the quietude? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you know, the world is loud, so we get quieter. So people have to quiet down their own selves in order to hear mm-hmm. what we're saying. That's a really powerful witness. Yeah. And it's just, it's foreign, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not how we yep. typically think of this season, mm-hmm. um, which is a shame because there is a lot of um, waiting that goes on in Advent, even in the stories themselves. You know, mm-hmm. we're, not, um, we're not invited to immediately go to Bethlehem. There's still, there's, there's stuff that's transpiring uh, before Jesus' birth that are important for us to meditate on. Yeah. It's a good segue. It is, yeah. So yesterday's yesterday's uh, scripture was what we call the Magnificat or Mary's song, um, and yeah, I mean that has a ton to say both about waiting, but also about um, the the action of God. Like it's this that perfectly encapsulates to me the already not yet, mm-hmm. um, because. As you said, it's it is past tense, which I really had never noticed before. That if you read Mary's song, she's not saying in nine months you will see this. And she's mm. not saying in thirty years you will see this once right. Jesus is full grown. She's saying it already has happened. Right, right. I had never and really noticed that. Which is the um, which makes Mary even more of a prophet, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, she's able to see what's what has unfolded and what will unfold, what is unfolding like all in one, in like one moment. Right. And I think that that's just, um, it's a little, it, the, the past tense, uh, verbs that Mary used uses to describe God's 
action in the world, I think it is often lost in the song because the song itself is so um, jarring when you actually meditate on and think about what Mary's actually saying. It's pretty radical. Um, but to also make the claim that God has already done these things um, makes it a song that can be really sung forever, right? Um, which I, I really I really just gravitated towards when I was reading it this this past week. Um, this yeah. idea that, that Mary is connecting both the beginning of time, the end of time, and what is happening within her physical body all, mm -hmm. all right. at once. Mm -hmm. no. I just love so much that it's the final Sunday of Advent. Like, I love mm -hmm. that Mary gets this final word before Christmas arrives. Mm -hmm. And like you said, it's, a, it's an absurd word. You know, like it's a really <laughs> um, complicated for the church to really wrestle with. I, I saw a pastor yesterday post that, you know, here it is, fourth Sunday of Advent, and on my Facebook is somebody harassing me about, you know, not being so political when I preach. And I'm like, just read read the scripture. Like I'm I'm yeah. literally like they were or that's what it was. They were saying like, I wish you'd stop like being so political with the things you post. And he was like, I was literally quoting Mary's Magnificat. Like it wasn't something I was saying. <laughs> it was something straight from the Gospel of Luke, in Mary's Magnificat. And and that, that's just the reality of it, right? It's it's mm -hmm. a really um, problematic text if you don't like disruption. Mm. Yeah. Well. And the last hymn, the Canticle of the Turning, that we did with the folk band yesterday is a setting of the Magnificat. Um, I think, too, one way that we try to tamp down Mary's prophetic voice is a lot of the settings of the Magnificat are these beautiful, lush, like, major key, slow tempo, um, comforting songs. We, we like to think of Mary as the comforting mother, yeah. um, which not to say that she isn't, but this... I mean, like you said, Mitchell, this is this is jarring. And the Canticle of the Turning, the reason, one of the reasons I love it so much is that it has um, uh, it has a Celtic bent to it. So it's driving. It's meant to be done with guitar or flute or drum or like something that's very energetic. Um, and it takes her words and it really drives home the point of the world is getting turned upside down. The world turned upside down. Anyways. Um, <laughs> Can always go back to Hamilton. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, it's, we, we want to tamp down this message, and the Canticle of the Turning doesn't do that. And I love that. I love the fact that this hymn is like, the first line is, my soul cries out with a joyful shout. Right? I mean, she talks about shouting and tyrants being torn from their throne, and like, it's just, it's it's really powerful language. Um, and I just loved that we ended with that, which is not a Christmas carol, right? And I just, I'm so proud of our congregation for not being afraid of that. Um, I got so many compliments and comments of people. Oh, I love that last hymn. The words are so cool. They're like, you know, they're really captivating. Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah, people are really excited online about it. They love the, the upbeat and just, the, yeah. it was a great song. Yeah. Yeah. Ben's banjo was was rocking on that one too. It was. Well, my banjo that Ben plays. You're right. Okay, your banjo that Ben plays. Do That's you your play? banjo. Do you play, Mitchell? Do I play the banjo? No, yeah. I just own one. Okay, <laughs> I just own one. All right. But it's on permanent loan to Ben because he uh -huh. plays the banjo. He does play quite well, actually. That's one of my yeah. top three instruments. If I could learn to play any, it's always a banjo. That's what are your funny. other two? A fiddle and the bagpipes. 
whoa, those are very different. <laughs> okay. The bagpipes. What a versatile I mean, instrument. you could always find a job if you could play the bagpipes with as many funerals that happen, right? Like, I am not sure that's true, but okay. Um, you could always find a part-time job. Sure. Yeah. Right. Outdoors. Also, how Outdoors. cool would it be to just be rolling around and some random dude hanging out out there playing bagpipes on the street? Like, come on, that's cool. Uh-huh. Uh, um, <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say the Trudy Box. The Shrewdy Box, yeah. I mean, you could already play the Shrewdy Box. I can yeah. teach you how, Phil. Okay. That would um, be even w- w- odder to just be standing <laughs> in a park or something playing the Shrewdy Box. Yeah. There's less, um, there's less skill involved with that, let's say. You really just, it's a drone instrument. You really just get to play one note at a time. But um, <laughs> still sounds pretty complicated for it me. Does I don't sound, know. It sounds pretty cool. I have no idea what I was going to say after that whole bagpipe situation. Um, yeah, you're, I, I thought you were going to say pick a you know more accessible instrument. Than <laughs> well, I always thought, like, like one, the fiddle's a really good one, because if you're going to play in Texas, you got to fiddle totally. in the band, right? Love it, yeah. The banjo's a really great accessible piece, too, because, like, if you if everyone wants to play the guitar, and most people can, so then, like, it's these are good accessory pieces. And then totally. what backs up a band better than bagpipes? That's all I'm going to say. Mic drop, I've I'm out. I've never seen a band with a bagpipe player. <laughs> I would say the bagpipe is a standalone instrument. Yes. It's not true. Much, there was a, there you know, was a like, band. I think if you would have said the accordion, we I go. think we could have been like, okay, we can find a way to fit that in. But yeah. uh, if you tried to play the folk band with a bagpipe, I think it would dominate and not be an enjoyable experience. Yeah. There is a band, and I forget the name of them. I will find it, and I will share it with you. The Pipers. <laughs> rock some bagpipe along with their... Okay. So if you really want to play the banjo, Phil, I mm-hmm. can give you a, um, a little tip. There is something called a six-string banjo, mm-hmm. which are the same chords as a guitar. A banjo so, guitar, right? A yeah, banjo guitar? Yeah. Um, so banjos normally have five strings, and they have totally different mm-hmm. chord right. fingerings than guitar. So that's a different instrument. But yeah, the six-string banjo would be a great place to start if you wanted to learn. It's kind of a bridge instrument. Um, just a little tidbit. I, mean, I can't really play the guitar either, so it's not like there's bridging much, right? <laughs> there is no Terabithia over there. There's just a bridge to nowhere at this point. <laughs> then maybe it's just best for you to, you know, pick up the claw maneuver, the claw picking on the banjo, and just start uh, real traditional. Don't don't get all confused with guitar chords and things like that. Just, just dive start in. Start fresh, yeah. I mean, I think, let's be honest, the best thing for me to do is just steer clear of instruments. That's the best thing. That is not true. That's not true. Everyone is a musician at heart. Just like we say, everyone is a theologian. Everyone's a musician. And you can always choose to make music, no matter how simple or complicated the instrument. Everyone is a theologian, but not everyone is a good theologian. (laughs) Well, then we have to get into (laughs) what makes good and what makes bad, right? Those are... It's kind of like you know it when you see it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, I'm a like, mad uh, footstop. Not everyone's a much. good musician. If we gave Phil the bagpipes right now, people would run. <laughs> toward me? They would run toward me? <laughs> no one runs toward bagpipers, Phil. Even good ones. Yeah, no, they're not They're not very approachable. I'm no, slightly concerned by your lack of appreciation for bagpipes, both of you. Both <laughs> I've of you. never seen anyone go up to a bagpipe player and get closer to them while they're <laughs> because they're in reverent awe 
Because they're going deaf. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're exactly. so loud. <laughs> and they're scared of it. It's a very <laughs> abrasive instrument. I really do love the bagpipes. Actually, fun fact, when I was in middle school, I had a pen pal in Scotland. And he sent me a cassette tape, yes, cassette tape, of bagpipes. And it was really cool, actually. So I don't hate on bagpipes. I just don't want you playing them inside. My, my with Scottish our heritage band. is like will... raging against the two of you right now. Hey, hey, look, we all got Scottish blood in us, all right? We're all, we're all, we're all part Scottish. Uh, and there is a place for the bagpipe, but to elevate it to third on your list <laughs> it only works if you're going to be leading some sort of parade in a carnival yeah speaking, speaking of carnival, of carnival you did that on purpose yeah, yeah. Back to it. <laughs> that's an amazing segue that's funny so yeah carnival um t- talk talk to us about that like take us through that like the the flesh incarnation and carnival connection that was well really yeah cool. carn is the latin word for flesh an incarnation, as Phil uh, 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 told folks at our tiny desk, incarnation edition, uh, is really the idea of God putting on flesh. This, uh, you know, like like a flesh clothing, essentially. Um, but carnival has the same root word, and it's this idea of of um, like putting putting forward the the flesh or the um, embodied experience that we have. And, and so if you think of a carnival, um, which I don't often uh, <laughs> think about carnivals, but if you think of them, they are very like uh, embodied experiences, mm-hmm. right? They, it requires uh, often movement and marching mm-hmm. and uh, indulging and uh, senses everything from sight to smells to sounds um it is kind of a conglomeration of what it means to be um celebratory in the flesh uh and so this idea that that the incarnation is much more like a carnival uh makes sense in the context of mary's own song when she is describing a world that is radically different than the one we uh conceive of or experience right now and and so I just I thought the connection between carnival and incarnation is um, has some uh, has some legs for us, especially this year because everything is so damn serious. Yeah. You know, and yeah. and it has to be. It's not like we should not be serious about what's happening in the world, and it's not like we shouldn't be taking omnicrom seriously and like the new variants and all of that but it um i think it does invite us into this kind of let's uh let's enjoy and celebrate and find the kind of absurdity that carnivals often are uh Mm -hmm. in the incarnation of god choosing to to show up in the um in 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 a direct uh or in a very specific context that um that is absurd it, I mean, it is absurd. You know what speaks to me about that, too, is, you know, when we say, oh, everything's so serious, we need to let loose. I think the the incarnateness of that is what's important. And we've talked about this in the context of Sabbath versus, like, just numbing behaviors. Yeah, so, totally. you know, you can have a day off where you plop down in front of the TV and you numb and you eat junk food. You can also, you can have a Sabbath, though, if you intentionally create these experiences for body and soul. And I think that 
that speaks to me in a similar way of, you know, oh, everything's so serious, we need to be celebratory at Christmas. But being celebratory doesn't just mean, you know, overindulging with sweets and sugar and like overcommitting our calendars. It really means being incarnate, present, fleshly and physically present in what we're doing, in how we're celebrating. Well, and I think like that, get to get back to the carnival thing, like um, carnivals aren't aren't simply passive. Right. Like, yes, there is often overindulgence at a carnival like Mardi Gras, uh, but they also require a high level of creativity, right? They, they draw out of us something that is often muted or set aside in the seriousness of the world. And so I think like, yeah, we can't talk about the incarnation without also talking about being a part of the creative expression or like um, movement that exists um, as well, right? They require a lot of planning. They require a lot of uh, inviting, right? We don't just have these kind of celebrations without actually doing work. And so I think there's something to be said about in, to be fully aware of what it means to to live in in this body and to participate in the incarnation it requires uh creativity from us it requires invitation it requires like planning it requires setting aside the time uh to uh to actually participate like it isn't just like turning everything off like you said rebecca i think that's a really good point it's um yeah it's also uh well it's more than that it's it's um it's intentional mm-hmm like jazz, right? Yeah. Like jazz is intentional and weird at the same time. Like you have to know all the you have to know all the notes before you can like not you can break all the rules. The yep. same thing in writing, right? Like uh, um, you you can break uh, you can break rules in grammar, but you have to know them first, right? Mm -hmm. And you have to know why you're doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like what are you trying to evoke? And yep. so I think like there's some intentionality um, in this kind of carnival incarnation tie that, um, but it also is celebratory. And I think like that getting, getting back to that is really important as well. Mm -hmm. Especially as we move through this week toward Christmas Eve, right? And we have two worship services um, that are pretty similar. Um, but if there is one difference, I think between the two, we have a 6 p.m. and 11 p.m there is a little bit of a difference in energy. Um, and I think each one is needed and, and complementary of the other. The 6 p.m. One's not sleepy and one is sleepy. <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I think it taps into two, two sides of the many-sided um, Christmas ornament that is Christmas Eve, right? It's yeah. The 6 p.m. is a little bit more energetic um we have a children's time and we have the folk band playing and the 11 p.m is a little bit more contemplative um we have string players and communion, um, communion. Mm -hmm. um, but they're at each one there's a little bit of a flavor of the other right mm -hmm. so at the 6 p.m there are still going to be moments of stillness and contemplation and at the 11 p.m we're still going to sing joy to the world and oh come all you faithful right these huge powerful lovely christmas hymns um but yeah, I mean, I think it's the I think in the balance is where we find the true meaning of Christmas. Yeah. And I mean, you know, there's something just I, I'm a sucker for a good 11 o'clock service because there's just something so unique about it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's the only time of year, uh, at least within our tradition or our kind of rhythm at White Rock, that we're up that late together. Um, <laughs> you know, some, some, some folks do some really cool Easter vigil stuff. We mm-hmm. don't at White Rock. Yet. Uh, presently. Yet. 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 But it, yeah, there's just something really peaceful about 11 o'clock. But whether you choose 6 o'clock because you have kids and 11 o'clock is ri- ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> or you show up at 11 or, you know, uh, you just love Christmas Eve worship so much you come to both. Um, I think, you know, this Friday is going to be really good. Mm-hmm. I think people really are really going to miss us by the fireplace from last year our 11 o'clock service that we did by the fireplace last year. Last year is such a blur <laughs> for me, honestly. Like, I, because I, I was still sick mm-hmm. last year when I was, and I actually yeah. recorded the Christmas hymns that y'all needed uh, because I was so fatigued from yeah. COVID that I couldn't do it all in one sitting. And so um, if this is kind of giving away a little bit of the, the mysteriosity of it all, but if you do go back and, and watch our Christmas Eve worship from last year, you will notice um, that the lighting is very different <laughs> from from scene to scene. Because I didn't record mine at night. I recorded mine whenever I happened to feel decent enough to get out of bed. Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, I'm looking forward to this year. The, the continuity of having us all in the same space is going to be really cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, Phil, you're speaking to something that I was thinking earlier in the conversation when we said the world just gets louder and louder and you know we're all overcommitted, I think if we're looking for a silver lining in last year's Christmas as we look toward this year, it is maybe that we got some more contemplation than we had been used to getting, right? Yeah. And maybe that prepared us in a new way to be present for this Christmas in the celebration. We can really yeah. celebrate because we know what it's like to miss it last year. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a good point. I feel like I know it's been, I think, a year and a half that I've been at White Rock, but I, I feel like it feels much longer, and I've never experienced, you know, Christmas Eve worship at White Rock, yeah. so I'm excited for that. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be good. You don't, you don't think that me recording a strange Christmas Eve 11 o'clock service in my house was how it normally feels like here? <laughs> You know, you, you couldn't see the connection there, Phil. Uh, there's no, there's no connection to make for me. So <laughs> this year might feel really strange for me because I'll again be wanting that fireplace feel. <laughs> yeah, totally. Good save, good save. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. friends, um, we are going to obviously we have a big lineup of services. We have two Christmas Eve, and then we have a Sunday morning worship the day after Christmas. Um, but we are going to take a couple of weeks off from this podcast to give ourselves that mental break in space. Um, but if you listen along with us on the day after Sunday, we appreciate you. We're really grateful that you spend the time every week with us. And um, Phil, when when are we back? January 10th. Is that right? Oh, now Something you're putting like me that. on the spot and having to find a calendar <laughs> and like. Oh, so I'm we're, sorry. We're not doing I'm, the third. Yeah. So it's the 10th. Yeah. That was very unfair. I, I made an Enneagram 9 look at a calendar. I know, right? I know How that, dare you? Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, we'll be back on the 10th. Um, I was going to say maybe we'll try to do like our, our best of in between, but the reality is we might not. We've put a lot of podcast material out lately because we had the devotional too, so yeah. we might just uh, let the podcasting take a break Speak for a for second. You know? Yeah. Sure. And who knows? I mean, maybe, maybe on the 10th we could... 
we haven't done this in a long time, but maybe we could do a like a group conversation about the holidays and like, you know, yeah. get get some old voices back on here to to liven things up. For sure. Maybe we'll do that. Cool. Yeah. Love it. Hopefully I'll see every, all of our listeners on Friday. Yeah. Love for people to join us online or in person. Yep. Sounds good. Looking forward Thanks to Thanks everybody. Merry Christmas. The Day After Sunday is a production of White Rock Media Network. Join us next week for another look at the why behind the worship. 